Hey, what's up, everyone? Uh, it's Peter Agassin. You're on the house list with me, your host. And I told myself I wasn't going to say what's up, everybody, because that's like the most like rhetorical possible opening for anything when you're doing an intro on a handheld recorder in your bathroom <laughs> to no one in particular and you say what's up everybody uh kind of makes you feel like a sociopath but on today's show i'm happy to have sat down with one and only gary wilson who i've known for a while and i was his agent for years we've done uh, lots of shows and tours together and I think he's a genius um, our conversation was super interesting and we talked about his childhood and um, meeting John Cage at 14 and all the way up to his new record which he has out now called it's Friday Night with Gary Wilson on Cleopatra Records if you're familiar with him at all I think you'll really enjoy this and if you have never heard of Gary Wilson before or heard his music, then I think by the end of this, you'll definitely want to check it out and um, absorb a lot. And he has a lot of albums, especially in the last um, 10 years. He's put out maybe six or seven. All are great, in my opinion. And, um, of course, his debut, the 1977 You Think You Really Know Me, is... Uh, absolutely a classic so sit back and enjoy my conversation with Gary Wilson on the house list we got fucking weed flying all over Peter it's like being back back in Humboldt <laughs> you know we you and I kind of met each other from when I was at the knitting factory when I was booking shows at the knitting factory so that was such a great experience that like when I moved over from booking the knitting factory to Panache. to panache yeah that um you know i asked you if you'd be down to do some shows do yeah. some touring and stuff but yeah anyway. that was one of my very first yeah. tours which was like I don't, I don't know if i would that was fun kind of right? it was palm fun. springs we went yeah well it started in spokane and went and ended in palm springs so yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, ace hotel right right with them back in Swingers you. Hotel, yeah, that's the old. Right. They do a lot of you know, things there at that book. Matter of fact, I got to play uh, Desert Days. Oh, how was that? Coming up in October. Oh, coming up, cool. Television. Nice. How's that? I, I had their record. Who would have ever thought, right? Suicide was supposed to be the, right. the thing, but right, I right. somebody passed away in the band, right? Yes, yeah, Alan Baker did. like 30 bands, all these kind of cutting-edge bands in the middle of the... And Joshua Tree, matter of fact, right. it's in October, so I'm kind of looking forward to that, and that'll be a... You know, I, I, you know, like I said, I'd like to see television. That would be fun to, you know. I had their album, Marquee Moon, right? Or, sure. That was a good album back when, you know, in the 70s when we started. And you had, Did you ever see him back then? You know, I never did, you know. Like I said, when I started playing CBGBs, it was like 1977. Right, so it would be... Um, and that's when I think their album came out, if I believe, Marquee Moon, right? Yeah, I think so. So it was maybe a little before they were playing it. Right. I, I enjoyed that album, actually, so it's kind of going to be fun to see them now. And I think it's the original guys or something, but maybe not. I don't know. Tom Veller, the guitar. And so anyway, that's coming out. And then Sunday, I got to play in Hollywood with uh, uh, Atayeko. Cool. So, 
So I'm gonna, you know, I gotta invite Peanut Butter Wolf for that one, like, since he's in my area. And I gotta yeah, you gotta. On, I gotta get on that. Actually, it's getting late now. It's this Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Well, then, today's Friday. Then Eon, right? Ethan, uh, I guess he wants to. Yeah, somebody wants to buy another Galaxy. I have. A, it's probably my last copy. Maybe I got two copies left of the original. Right, right. So he's got some collections, but I kind of feel in some ways safe leaving it with Eon or Ethan because he's a record collector and like I say I might keel over tonight I don't know you know <laughs> and he has you know he bought my test presses for you think you really know me and, wow. and some of those things so I kind of feel safe leaving my well he's the he's he's the consummate um, protector of stuff like that too he negotiated oh. you know the deal with Earl Sweatshirt and yeah, yeah he got me a good deal you know what was that? So I remember you. Well, they sampled you or Earl right. at the end of his song "Grief." I guess. Right, that's right. They sampled a bit portion of "You Think" uh, or uh, "You Were Too Good to Be True" right. off of "You Think You Really Know Me," and um, that's all led to that. But you know that you guys played it together too, right? Uh, well, we went on the Jimmy Kimmel show and did it. But you know, we did grief, and, right. and I had a great time with that one. That was a good How did one. Go, did did oh, it go over funny. okay? And it was funny because it was like you know, you know, I, they didn't know what I was going to do anyway. I, I bet. I, I said to Earl, I said, Earl, what do you want me to do, man? And, you know, I said, well, do whatever you want. And I go, <laughs> okay. And he had that band back, and I'm bad doer, too bad, too bad doer, oh. bad good. Or, oh yeah. Bad, bad, not good. I think that's it. <laughs> and they were fucking, they were great. Right. Man. Which is also, I think, from that Stone Throw lineage, because that's Jamie Strong, um, who you may remember too from, uh, was working there. At Stone Throw. Oh, yeah, right around the time, a little bit after um, your record came out there. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I was impressed with them, actually. So, you know, I went to their rehearsal before, and then it was fun because, you know, I came up from San Diego. I took a train up, and, you know, I got. I rushed up because they were, you know, actually it was kind of lit. Not, no, not for the actual filming, but they they want to set up the camera out right. angles and so you know I just rushed and took a cab right from the um, train station to the right in the heart of Hollywood. They filmed that. I don't know if you. Oh, Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah, I've been there Man, once before in the parking lot, or was it in the studio? Uh, they do. I the think parking lot's the bigger one, right? Where they got the you know the the, the bigger acts, maybe I don't know, but it was in inside and. Um, you know that was kind of great you know and then yeah like i said they're all you know uh earl sweatshirt was in his room you know and the columbia rex right or you know all over him right so uh, sure you know, kind of the old so i snuck away and f and found my own small dressing room in, in the studio right mm. and so they still didn't know what i was going to do right they you know we did a, a testing where i just walked up there you know I, but then you know i snuck away and got into you know and then gary wilson transformed you know and and I duct tape myself on the stage or something. And, you know, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's a funny thing with that whole thing, you know, the odd future kids, you know, they were... Yeah, they Tyler embraced and, your stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, so it's kind of cool, you know, I appreciate all that, you know, so I'm very humbled by it all. There was this, another song before the Earl Sweatshirt one too, right? There was some, like you went out, I remember when we were working together and this, even uh, when you did this, but I think you w didn't you go over to their compound or their house and like record well, you know, some they stuff. They have or? a lot of different divisions. Yeah, a lot of dudes. Guys who, yeah, so a matter of fact, I, I brought some of the division off of Off Future over the Stones Throw. Right. Oh yeah. So new school meets old school. Right. I thought it was a cool one, right? Right. Right. These guys were still probably nineteen or I don't know what it was. So few. Cool. 
Well, what happened is their manager contacted me and a few years back and said, yeah, yeah, Tyler and these guys, they're fans of yours, they want to meet you, and that, you know. So, you know, it all worked out, you know, and, you know, you know, you listen to the records, everybody's swearing and all this other stuff. <laughs> right. You know, they're really nice kids, you know, I was, you know, sharp kids, you know, they, they, they you know, were very respectful, so very nice. Yeah, and I think they, like, fully, you know, uh, connect with this kind of music, too. Creative, well, they're yeah, creative, yeah. you know, they're, yeah. not, they're not your typical, you know, actor, they, and that's what is good, but yeah, it's, it's strange how that all happens, you know, and I appreciate it, you know, you know, that's. That's, that's great. How did Jimmy Kimmel like your performance? Did he come shake your hand? Well, you know, all the camera guys, everybody's going, you killed him, Gary, you killed him. <laughs> you know, and then I, tr- I think I, I might have tried to get back. Maybe they think I'm a loose cannon because they did that, because they didn't know I was going to do that. Right. They, they didn't know what to expect. Right. I wasn't really sure what I, you know, I thought, well, I changed in the dressing room into me and then surprised them, I guess, but. I think I tried to get on the show again. And they <laughs> says, "Can you get on with Ariel Pink?" Right. So Ariel Pink said, "Yeah, I'll come on. You know, he's my friend." You know, and, and then nothing came from it. I, you know, I don't know whatever happened there because I got you know Ariel. I think Ariel was on anyway without me. After, <laughs> right. So. Right. But anyway. Yeah, I think that's what they need. Uh, there has to be. Some main. Yeah. I've tried that before Have too. You? Yeah, yeah, you gotta try. You know, yeah, for yeah, guys yeah. like us too. I mean, it's well, like you know, we only get so many window cracks every once in a while. So. And one of the guys working there actually, you know, you know, they pop guys going, yeah, we got your album, Gary. You know, but you know, there were certain guys you got to get through. It's even like the you know Fallon show and some of those right. shows. You know, it's still hard to get. Right, because we did. Um, I forgot to just remember this now too. Is we did Jimmy Fallon with, uh, or we were working together during this time when. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was there. Uh, yeah, when. You sat in with the band. It wasn't like a performance of, but you sat and sat sang with, with the roots the, yeah, and with the roots. in between the cracks, so to speak. But yeah, right. Yeah, that was a memorable point. Yeah, that was a great thing. Yeah, so yeah. That would be, you know, like I said, I got a couple new albums out right now, so you never know what's down the line, right? Yeah, absolutely. So this one with Cleopatra Records, right? That yeah, yeah. Uh, that one just came out. Recently? Well, July fifteenth, oh, cool. the last one came nice. out, just, and then they released "Alone with Gary Wilson" in two thousand fifteen, and then this one was the last one. And then the Christmas one comes out October twenty eighth, I guess, is the official release. Oh, sweet! So what? All right, because that is news to me until just moments before we started talking. Called, so what is that? It's Christmas time with Gary Wilson. Is it standards? Well, you know, before I created the album, you know, Cleopatra commissioned me kind of to do this, and I thought, well, okay, well. I like Christmas, so let's see, should I do half and half? Right. Traditional and then write half. And then it, what it ended up is I did all, I wrote all the songs and decided I'll just do it all. And so it's all like kind of Christmas theme, New Year's, snow, you know, upstate New York. <laughs> wow. So it's a, you know, it's a, yeah. So I don't know, we'll see where that goes. Yeah, right? Christmas in upstate anyway is like, you know, it's uh, very Christmassy yeah, looking, so, right? You know, I'm trying to create that with the album there, you know, that period. So I'm, yeah, so I don't know what to expect, you know. That's, That's cool, kind of cool about showbiz, you know, you never know what the hey. hell's around the corner, you know. You, right. You look at your emails and all of a sudden there's an opportunity that you didn't, where'd this come from? Right, right. <laughs> and honestly, when I reached out to you too, um, I didn't even know you had the. Sh- I didn't know you had the show like uh, uh-huh. coming up. There's a show in New York tonight that you're doing. Yeah, and yeah, I reached out to you a couple of days. Yeah. Oh, it's all good. But it was. I think we even just talked a couple of days ago. Yeah. So it's pretty 
hilarious, serendipitous almost that like I would reach out. I think and, you'd enjoy this one because this, like they said, we got violins. We yeah. Got so what? Horns, tell, yeah. What's the whole make? Singer, what's got, the makeup of the whole band? Well, it's eleven piece backup, and um, they specialize in doing uh, recreating the soundtracks from Italian movies. Wow. And you know monster movies and all the Italian movies, so that's their specialty. Mm-hmm. So we hooked. I, I, I hooked somehow. <laughs> I don't know. We hooked up together somehow, and and it's great because now you're hearing you know cool arrangements, you know, with strings and horns and an opera singer and doing. And matter of fact, we're in talks with you know maybe recreating for an anniversary. If you think you really know me, you know, with this new. Wow. Prearranged with a larger chamber ensemble. And I always wanted a chamber ensemble, you know. I've been, Who doesn't want a chamber ensemble? You know, I play cello and bass. I mean, I. Do you? Oh, yeah. I was, I was in the school orchestras when I was a kid. Hmm. So. So I thought. That led me to John Cage, right? Right, right. Which I wanted. Yeah, of course, you know, you've talked about that That's before. I wanted to talk yeah. about that. But I was even, you know, knowing how much you know the contemporary material that you've done is all it's really piano based written it seems like it's written all written on piano too basically yeah, I, I mean it's most on piano i was you know i did i see bass and cello i was actually trained through school you know all the yeah. kids the wilson family everybody had to play an instrument violin blah blah so you know through school so you know all the way through high school you know junior high grammar school even junior high and stuff but so that was the first instrument uh, yeah, well, I'm trying to think. How the hell did I play that? You know, at, at that age. Yeah, bass. was it? Yeah, it was a stand-up bass. It had right. to be a miniature one, right? For a for a uh, little kid. How kid old were you? That was in fourth grade or something. <laughs> yeah, you'd be pretty and, and, you small. Know, and I said, and I did. You know, uh, I would compete. Actually, our school we'd compete against different schools, and uh, you know, and I actually won a gold medal for. Uh, I bowled a box solo with a. a our piano teacher played the piano, and I did some string bass box solo or something when I was a kid or something. But Amazing. I, so, you know, all through that, I was always in the chamber ensembles, and I was writing music for them. In you know, I got into experimental and classical, so I was... Can you write uh, scales? You can sure, write, sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I was good. You know, I knew all the ranges of everything from tubas to bassoons to the correct way for how what the ranges like you say of the instruments right. and you know, I did I had some good scores of them uh, and that's what my teacher said you know like I said when I was in 10th grade she said well Gary you know why don't you try to get a hold of John Cage I'm thinking well how can I get a hold of him he's my hero since I was in 7th grade you know right. 13 or 14 he was listed in the telephone book. No way. In New York City. No way. John Cage, so I call him and, you know, he goes, well, you send some of the scores to this post office box number or something. He picked up the phone and just said yeah. it obliged you? Yeah. And then two weeks later, I followed it up with another call and he invited me huh. to his house. But he lived in Haverstraw, New York. I don't know where you... It's not too far, 30 miles away. From Endicott or from or here? From New York City. Okay. Out in the woods somewhere. You right. Know? And, uh... You he know. just said, "Hey, I liked I like what you did." Yeah, and yeah well, so I, yeah. So he invites me to his house and gives me a date or something to come up. And my mother, you know, she has to drive me from Endicott, which is you know, 150 miles up into the woods. Did she know who he was? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, kind of. You know, my she dad got a was, sense of. Yeah, she at least was supportive about it, I guess, and realized the. See, maybe I didn't realize the magnitude of what I was doing. I mean, looking I didn't, back, you know, at 14, I wasn't. You know, I he was my hero. 
but you know, I that's why I say I look back at that now and I I can't figure out how that even came about. Why would it and I consider him a genius. I don't consider too many people a genius. Yes. He, he moved music absolutely past the European influence of, you know, all that twelve tone stuff and pushed it up another level. Why would he take the time to talk to a kid from upstate New York, 150, he don't know me from hell, where New York has right. music students from every, a Juilliard grad student would right. have a one-on-one -on -one with John Cage. Sure. Let alone go to his house. And So my mom, we're, we got lost in, at, in Haverstraw because he's out in the woods somewhere. So we stop at this little store, general store, and I call, I go, Mr. Cage, I can't, we can't find your house. So he comes down, he picks me up in his car, right, and drives me, my mom waits for me at the general store, and he, you know, he drives me back to his house, and you know, we're making, I'm making small talk with John Cage at 14, right, and he's, you know, talking, he's like, Gary, it seems like he said something like, Gary, you know, I never made enough money till I was 50 years old, or something about that, <laughs> I swear, he said something like weird, like, I'm like 14, so, you know, like, then we got to his house, and then we went over my scores, and he would say, okay, well, what do you think the the trumpet thing, what you have written there, do you think he's going to be able to interpret that? And I said, well, you know, yeah, from low to high, and then he would scribble it out and put in the correct notation. Wow. Or something. I still wish I had those, some of those fucking scores, man. So he was actually giving you notes yeah, on... Yeah, he was correcting my notations, and then, you know, he, oh, very, you know, very, uh, you know, uh, a humble man, very, you know, like I said, a and he only had one room only had like a Buddha doll in the corner wow nothing else and then one room had a hammock or some stretched across where he probably slept or something and then you know, was, was like, so a oh, modest why, why modest place right yeah yeah Jeez, and, you know he's a mushroom expert too and that's part of his other thing he's beyond even music he goes into mushrooms you know interesting I did not know that yeah yeah he's like an, he actually had television shows and stuff they'll put him on because he knows Hmm. what the correct mushroom would be <laughs> but yeah you know I, great man you know one of, I'd say probably my biggest influence was him John Cage and I mean it makes sense too now putting kind of into perspective what you were doing at that age too I mean you know your contemporary music obviously is informed by that but I mean it's such a different I mean now the way you put it into that into that those kind of that framework it it's totally makes a lot of sense. I mean, because it was, what, classical compositions? like. Um, well, you know what happened when I was a young boy, a little boy, sometimes I'd come to New York to go see a John Cage show at some college or something. So you had definitely seen him, yeah, watched him some stuff. Yeah, sure. But, you know, I always felt a little, this is where we get back to, because, you know, I was also Dion in the, in the Belmonts. Right. Huge fans of mine. Right. Even before the Beatles and... And uh, so I was always kind of left with a little bit, where's the personality in front of this John Cage show? So my ideal, before I even turned into Gary, who Gary Wilson is, I guess, was how can we put Dion in front of a John Cage show? Mm. You know, wouldn't we want to see that? Or Dion with a sack of flour on his head, mm, right. singing about girls and all the they're doing a John Cage show behind them, you know, right. and I think it finally materialized. Now I got an ensemble that actually, you know, during the interludes, they, it can be very John Cageian in some ways with the strings and, you know, so it's like. Do they take direction? Are you giving well, them instruction? All, actually, the 
the leader of their thing is he, he's like from the Boston Conservatory or something, and all these are oh, wow. students from there that. Had, so he did all the arrangements of the whole, all my mm. songs, you know, all the parts for everybody, and blah blah. So it's kind of intriguing, really. It's are they pulling it from different albums too, or is it? Um, yeah, we got a, you know, we got some from, you know, we have the basis of, is you think you really know me, and then right. we incorporate like stuff from Mary Had Brown here, and right? Some newer ones maybe here and there, but yeah, it's a lot of fun, really. It's very moving. We did that WFMU one today. And yeah, I can't wait to actually. That found myself almost back when I was young or something and, and when music meant a lot to me you know where right. it wasn't just money or anything anymore but you actually you know I grew up with the Beatles and all that right. stuff you know I, you I, saw the Beatles I saw the Beatles in Shea Stadium yeah what was you got to just for a sec what you have to explain what that so oh, what that experience was, was like yeah, I talked to my brother about that too Larry because our parents didn't go to it so right. so it, I'm saying I was like uh, I might have even just been coming out of sixth grade into seventh or something and my brothers he's only a year or two younger all three of us my sister were all these young kids so we went all to Shea Stadium without our parents on a bus you took well, a bus down from upstate? Yeah, what? well, what it was was they would have excursions. Mm, where they would actually right. advertise in papers. Right. And they would rent, lease out a bus and take people, you know. But this was like you go to the World's Fair right. plus the Beatles. Jeez. So we got to both for both. And so I went to the World's Fair and then we went to Shea Stadium. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I still remember they had a car that drives into the water. They would. Uh, at the World's Fair. Right, right, of course. And they were showing that off or something. They <laughs> drove right into the freaking river or something. But yeah, of course, you know, like I say, when the Beatles came out, I was in sixth grade, basically, when they when they went on Ed Sullivan. And I was still a Beatle, or I was still a Dion fan. Right. I, I still didn't go to the Beatles yet, you know. And then, and then I, you know, then everybody, all the kids went to that direction, you know, all right. Everybody wants to be in a band. You know, we all wanted to be like the Beatles. Sure really in reality at that time and and in a way it's you know really marvelous that you know I'm almost you know actually recreating that dream that I had when I was a little boy mm. right <laughs> so many years later you know yeah I succumbed to the situation up to 2002 and then I got resurrected by motel right of course and then everything just turned around and you know yeah thank god yeah yeah and I've seen so many different uh for you know us working together the the period of time that we did there's been i mean it's awesome to hear about this ensemble that you have now because I, I wasn't aware of that but i've seen you play in a lot of different formations too yeah. i've seen you completely alone remember, on stage remember the too. Medium factory? i still have a dvd of that you do yeah off the, remember they had the studio guy that would take i do off the cameras yeah. Yeah. i think it was just two angles it was that was they pushed that on on me to sell that yeah, a lot i yeah. still have that actually that was That's like cool. frank roma all the original guys that yeah, was yeah yeah vince rossi and absolutely yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember that fondly too because I think we did maybe one or two other shows with that lineup. Because when we did Glasslands, I think one the early Glasslands show. Yeah, but probably. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Then we do the Mercury Lounge, and I should probably do that more in some ways, you know, because you know when I remember the Mothers of Invention and some of those bands, I always liked the original band. When yeah. I started changing musicians and blah blah, it was no longer like I don't know. I just. 
know, well, it's like taking a puzzle apart and putting it together a different way, you I know. Guess, like, you know. And even though, you know, sometimes the musicians aren't as good as other musicians, there's a certain personality. I mean, absolutely. I used to go see Frank's. I, gosh, I saw Zappa back when nineteen in the sixties when he had the two drummers and. Hell yeah. You know the real guys back then, where they were doing absolutely free and some of those albums. Did you ever go to the Fillmore East? Yes, you did. Oh, I nice. saw him there. Amazing. And he was with Flo and Eddie from the Turtles. Wow. Doing the singing, and that was, I think, one of the albums. I think it was a double, uh, the two nights they played there, and I think John Lennon came in the next night or something. Amazing. That's, that's on album, but yeah, geez, that Flo and Eddie, which are the guys from the Turtles, still. Uh, Imagine me and you. Da -da. Right. And we used to play that when we were twelve. We were with rock bands. That was part of the. What was Lord Fuzz? Was that was that? How about that one? Yeah. Now that got re-released. Did it? I Did didn't know, know that. that? <laughs> I did not know That's that. A whole other story, man. Yeah, I didn't see. I don't know much about that side of your musical history, though. What was that? Well, my first rock band I got in was Lord Fuzz. I was, uh, I think, uh, probably the summer of seventh grade into eighth grade. So this must have been like during that time that yeah. you went to Shea Stadium, right? Oh, it was yeah, like around yeah, that yeah, yeah. afterwards. Maybe. The, that music, yeah, maybe a year later or something. Cool. But, you know, at the time I was the, you know, the cool music, 67, 66, 67, 68. There was a lot of good music at that time. Right? Oh, yeah, I'd say. So we were like as good as, we were like, you know, young boys, 13 and 14, and we would compete against bigger bands older than us. And hold up against them because we had the chemistry. We were a right. good band. It was like all these Italian kids who lived in this three-block radius or something. And I was doing a show with Ariel Pink a little while ago, and uh, well, must have been seven or eight months ago, or maybe even a year. And uh, you know, the Cleopatra. You know, I didn't even know he was coming. All of a sudden, the president of Cleopatra, Brian, came in and. Right. You know, and he started talking about my Lord Fuzz single. He wants to release this single. And I kept <laughs> right. going, you know, no big deal, no big deal. You know, it's something I did back in 67. You know, it's there's only two copies left in the world. I said, I, you know, let me track it down for you if I can. You had them? And then I found a copy with the, you know, the guitar player. Carmen Petrino had a copy. Wow. Who's been my friend even. Carmen and I go back to fifth grade, actually. And we've been, you know, he's played with me in bands and stuff. But, you know, he's... You know, Conrad Petrino used to talk about digital. He went to Cornell University after high school, but at that time, and we're talking 71 or something, but he used to talk about digital stuff to me. That one day there'll be TV sets that you can hang on your wall. And, <laughs> right. And it's come on. And I bring it up to him, but he doesn't seem to remember us talking. You know? But he, he was one of the. He was one of the first guys that in the college. One of his projects was to sample a grand piano. And the technology was real difficult during 71, 72. Though. I think so. Yeah, and but, you know, he was a real... But anyway, he had a copy of the Lord Fuzz single that I finally got from him. And he was living in the L.A. area, kind of. Anyway, so I gave it to Cleopatra, and it's out right now. Amazing. I got to track that down. You got to track it down. So that actually, I wanted to ask you about this, too, because... Um, there was like some of those early records and i would assume lord fuzz is kind of in that family but there's like three different labels that i found that must have been basically your own labels with mcm mcp yeah, was myself mcp it, was michael coin productions uh-huh 
And what's and it's GWP? Is, Michael, is Michael Coyne, That's a whole story. Now that what's know. I don't know. What's he, where is he from? Was he from New York? Or? Well, he used to work for Avalon Productions back on the West Coast. Right. He used to put on the big concerts. Yeah, Santana, all those guys. And, yeah. And, and and he worked in. I could tell you tales, but I don't dare tell you about him on some <laughs> things. But anyway, so anyway, so he thought he. At that point, I got a, I was in a blues band. Oh. Because when I got to San Diego, they had all these gigs, and these guys came up to me and said, "Hey, we need a bass player." Right. And I thought, well, okay, I could do that. I guess earn some extra money. And like blues covers. Or, yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. And then that blossomed into insanity after a while. I mean, we were a good blues band yeah. at, at that time. Well, so what was that called? A big city blues band. Okay. And we're talking 78, 79, 80, 81, 82. And that led me to playing bass with the Coasters. Right. Big J McNeely, Percy Faith. Wow. Roy Brown. Well. Good rock. And I tell people, they talk Chuck Berry as the originator of rock. Roy Brown. Good rockin' tonight. Remember that song? Have you yeah. heard the news? There's good rockin' tonight. So you, you guys. I was his bass player. But. He was making a comeback. Right. And I always talk about the most electric show in some ways. We played the Whiskey at Gogo in 1980 or 80. Wow. And Sir Douglas Quintet opened for us. And wow. All these like blues legends that were in LA were paying their respects to Roy Brown because, you know, he was, you know, in the 70s or something. And Eddie the Whip, who was uh, the DJ that introduced them in 1949 and from Detroit or something, was there. And. A sax player from all those original albums he did back then was playing sax with us and God, it was the real thing it sounds you incredible know, I just kind of frowned on blues a little bit because I you know when I got out of high school I was playing with Peggy Lee's piano player and right. more sophisticated jazz pop and blues was always too much jamming for me and boy did I have a blues lesson but anyway right <laughs> well that's got to be a regional thing too I mean coming from the northeast and going to southern California too I mean it's uh -huh. like, well yeah yeah but you know, it was like I said, we were a good band actually. That's that's how we ended up with these. You know, some right. back in some of these. You know, these guys were all being. You know, William Morris, I think, was booking some of those guys, and they were trying to make their comeback. Sure. He played some really good gigs. You know, Marina Del Rey, and you know, and remember Ian Wickham? I don't. You probably no, I don't to remember that. Yeah. It was in the sixties. You really turned me on. Dun, 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 I don't know that. Kind of a gimmick song. Right. He's from England. He was a DJ at K-Rock after, but uh, mm. he ended up playing, you know, he was a big blues fan, so he was kind of playing keys with us and stuff. But anyway, wow, how okay. we got off into the blues. So you were fully immersed into that, into yeah, that blues scene? for a scene. certain period of time, right. and it was like, you know, like you said, I got to play with the real legends, you know, and, and you know, you had all these L.A. guys, the Blasters, everybody was coming over to see, you know, these guys, and I, I was fortunate enough to really, and, you know, it was funny with the Coasters, you know, they're because my dad would buy me their records when right. I was 10 years old or 8 years old right. Charlie Brown and all those so all of a sudden I'm with you know one of the you know like they lost a few players you know because of the time and stuff it's, but I think one of the original guys or two and he's, he's showing me how to play Charlie Brown on the bass and I'm going I said god my dad bought me your record back when I was 10 years old or something incredible yeah so I got a real chance to play with some neat people and then like I say some you know, there's been some good points in my life that... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, How about the, the Lincoln Center one? You were there, weren't you? Or? For the documentary? I wasn't, I wasn't there yet. That was a good one. For but you. I, we had, I had met you before the documentary. Oh, I see. Um, 
Yeah, but I'd yeah. interviewed you. I think really I right. first so met it was that, Mary had brown yeah, hair. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was very moving actually to watch her story unfold on a kind of a state of the art screen with good sound. I would certainly think so. And it was sold out and it was like the Lincoln Center Film Society and then they throw a big shindig in the back, you know. Forget and, about it. yeah. And, I mean you know, that was real memorable. And it was just a really well made film too. I mean well, so much now could be made now since then because that was between 2002 and 3 right think what has happened since then right right Stones Throw Questlove all those guys are you know right. we, could, we could have a good one right but yeah you never know yeah but going back just really quickly going back to that to that those early records which I think there's still a lot of untold stories from but but the MCP obviously that wasn't blues stuff that Michael was coming Klein in Productions right was. he was a um, he was a San Diego guy he was gonna produce the blues band actually that's how I guess I got in the blues band right but since the leader of the blues band was having a hard time coming up with original material he decided he was gonna produce my record so that's where Invasion. He was just like, "Hey, do you have some stuff? What yeah, do you got here?" Because carrying? we don't, you know, his this guy isn't supplying you the him the music, so he knew of me because we have talked, of course, you know. And he says, "Okay," because he was friends with us too, so you know. But uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so invasion of privacy, which was a double seven-inch single that I put out in, I guess, nineteen eighty, I think it was, or something. So yeah, that was Michael Coyne. What was the, like, experience with, I mean, obviously you've done a lot of, like, vinyl releases, stuff that's really of that, like... Funny you mention that, you know, was yeah. that my show in Philly? Oh, yeah, last couple nights ago? Yeah. yeah. Another guy, uh, Philadelphia Record Exchange? Philadelphia Record Exchange, yeah. They reissued You Think You Really Know Me right. in, in 1990. Wow. But it never really went anywhere. Right, it was a little ahead and, of time. And I'm playing there too. I never met this guy, right? We It was all through mail and stuff. And right. I'm in San Diego. He's in Philly. And all of a sudden, he showed up two nights ago. Wow. The owner of the store. And, you know, he's going, yeah, he's going, Quest Left came in here and bought your album. You think you really know me? And I go, oh, is that where that happened? I thought it was Peanut Butter Rough. He said, no, no. I came in here. He said he was looking for Gary Wilson or something. I said, oh, so I'm going, God, I said, geez, I, you know, how many years have passed and we finally meet in Philly, you know, 30 years, you know. Incredible. Like, yeah, yeah, that was kind of cool. I, was, well, I think there's a lot of, people have a lot of connections to you, because I mean, especially with the contemporary stuff too, now you've gotten to become so prolific on a certain, to a certain audience, you know, it's not like, I think in, in pop culture, some people think that you were, didn't do music for a long period of time, but obviously you were doing a lot of stuff that just wasn't yeah, um, exposed nobody, nobody to a certain... Nobody was listening, right? And nobody was right. really watching. That's what it was. You know? Right. I just answered that a few days ago in an interview. They were asking, you disappeared in 1981? Right. I said, well, I didn't really disappear. I was still trying, but nobody was paying attention. You sure. Know, I, I was, my girlfriend was a grad student at UCSD. Right. So we were doing things together in experimental film and stuff together. Cool. And, and so that kept going, but, you know, I had my own little... Uh, four-channel cassette and stuff at the time 91 with the re-release of the album and then still that didn't take off and then back in 97 what was that one that was well, that was a motel Odele, right? remember when Beck yes of course Odelay's the matter mentioned. of fact the guy at the record exchange he's telling me yesterday I go yeah well I said you know I remember Beck coming out of the MTV video awards mentioning right. my song 
He's going, no, he was at the Grammys, and right at the end of the song, he said, you know, uh, where it's at, I guess, you know, he put the mic down, and there he said, 6.4. <laughs> right. But then Stip took, even during that. Right. From 97 to 2002, until I really got resurrected, and I guess just the timing. Yeah, isn't that yeah. funny how that all works, huh? It seems that people tend to just, like come to you that they find you is over not it's not necessarily like a generational thing but like because there's been so many labels that have been kind of affiliated with different projects i mean and obviously i came to know about you through the stone so release initially and then was able to thankfully there was only a couple things to go back and discover it but i mean kids that are just getting uh, what's the new what's the latest album called again uh, the last one that's yeah the artist. Cleopatra one it's Friday night with yeah. Gary Wilson yeah so and so they're just hearing that now or yeah. seeing this kind of performance that's now I say we did a show in LA a few a month or two ago or something and Cleopatra Records was there a couple guys from there and they're going geez everybody's under 18 years old there was a young audience it was cool. like an underage place and he's going you know he's fascinated by that but yeah you know it's different groups yeah yeah you know, you know again thanks that everybody likes it now well, you know it's it's a change though you know a few years back i think it was the echo maybe with the echo plex they pulled the plug on me again you know like what happened like in the old days when i was back in endicott new york where you couldn't play for you know they didn't like me too much back then well it was a funny one we were it was a i don't know if it was like with tame impala and uh, uh -huh. uh, uh, ariel pink and some other people or something and these were the blind dates, like uh, not Frank Roman, Vince Rossi, but same guys I grew up with back in Indiana. You know, original guys I call them, the original dates. And they were out in L.A. Yeah, we oh, did cool. this gig, and, and uh, you know, and like, well, there's some of them were in San Diego, live in San Diego. Right. So we're doing a song and a thing, you know, and you know us. So I'm on the ground. I'm, I can't see anything. My face is covered in flour or something, and the bass player he's pouring paint on me must have been washable paint and I'm all covered and all I could hear in my ears is either the sound guy or somebody yelling turn it off <laughs> cut it cut it and that instigates makes us even more of course concerned. with the original guys we like that so all of a sudden they're feeding on that right and so we're making it even wilder you know everything's chaotic a big fucking mess on the stage and uh, finally they pull the plug on us boom and I go ah that hasn't happened to me in 30 years <laughs> How did that? How now did you, I'm gonna be there on Sunday, right? Nice. Well, you gotta try to to one up yourself on that one. Do, do you remember? Like, did you just fall into that style of performance, or was it more like a, a rebellious? Thing? You know, like I said, when I was 12 and all that, I I started getting into you know again experimental music. So, plus I was in a rock band. Right. So now everything's beginning to form. Uh, I was into experimental theater. I, I was a painter for a while. I was doing a painting you know I would take like six foot by six foot pieces of wood plywood and nail chairs and tires and mm. put hay throw hay on it red paint and it'd be these dimension massive things and I would charge like a hundred thousand or something nobody ever bought <laughs> and I'd get into these art shows so but what I'm trying to say is I was trying to find how everything merges right I was in the avant-garde theater, music, art, jazz, everything in a very experimental way. But I also like Debussy, and I like mm. certain, I like musicality. So well, De somehow, yeah, Debussy how does is it all mix? Right. I like 
teen idol type stuff, the ideal of it anyway. Right. Bobby Rydell, Dion, you know, Fabian, you know, you right. know all those guys. There's something about it, though, that, that, that style that got to me. Of course, it was probably because I was a kid or something, but so how is this all going to come together? You know, it's, and then it, did, it didn't happen until you think you really know me, I guess. Is right. Finally, even the previous album, you know, like Another Galaxy. And, right, right. And there was Adult Swim was using a single I made, I think, when I was 18. Uh, wow. Remember Dreams and Soul Travel? Yeah. Uh, didn't Soul Travel, did I put it on that label? Um, I'm not sure. It was re-released though, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. So they were licensing well, that? did it. I remember. Right. That's what it was. Yeah. Forgotten Lovers, the album. Right. But yeah, the Adult Swim uses that periodically. I hear the old song come on and go, oh, yeah, there's a song I did when I was, you know, 17 or something. Right. But yeah, so, but still, I didn't feel totally satisfied. Right. I'm thinking, okay, yeah, 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 you got, you know, but every college has real good players that can play fusion, that can do this, you know, where's the personality coming in? Right. And I know there's great players out there. So then it just hit, you know. And then it finally got onto a point where I could put my name on it and say, "This is Gary Wilson." In in a lot of stuff, Doctor Zark and stuff. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. But why am I using Doctor Zark? You know, I said, okay. Why am I not saying Gary Wilson? I'm Gary Wilson, not Doctor Zark. You know. And then it just I, so I stay on track with that in the sense how to. What do I? What would I want to go see Gary Wilson do? And then I react when I'm on stage, or what would I want to see, hear him play, and somehow that all fits in. Right. You know, theater, blah blah. You know, avant-garde theater. I was into all that stuff, and as a youth, so like I say, it didn't all come together until I was like 23, maybe. Or 22. Yeah. I think seeing it now, or even in the last few years, I, I think maybe it would be some of the audience must be a little removed from the original reference points too, because it does harken to like a certain you know, period of performance art in New York City and, and just of, of a certain era that is, um, that you definitely encapsulate in it, but uh, it's kind of this, like, the waves of it now are, are, are have kind of reverberated in a certain yeah, way. You know, somebody asked me stuff like that. I said, well, you know, it just, I don't know, it just it's, it comes natural to me or something. Right. I mean, it's nothing like, you know, I don't know, it's just, since I've been in an avant-garde band, since I've been 13, 14, about, you know, now it's all, when I perform now, it's like, comes natural to me. I, I, what was your, do you remember your first show in New York? Um, CBGB's. As Gary Wilson, wasn't it? Yeah, Gary Wilson and the Blind Dates. So were you already going for it then, yeah, like well, that style? Yeah, what happened style? is in 77, I did the album, you think you're really right. So I was from upstate, so I said, well, I know CBGB's is happening, it's 77, right? So, uh, you know, I don't know how I got there because I was, oh, yeah, yes. I didn't drive, I'm sure, so I must have got up there somehow. And so I went to CBGB's. I still remember, like, it was in the afternoon or something, and I had my album in, uh, I guess, what was his name? Hilly. Hilly Crystal. Crystal. Mm -hmm. uh, the bartender said, or girl said, uh, and it's funny, with another story with that, too, but the bartender says, uh, well, he will be in a little bit. So I waited like two or three hours. You know. <laughs> at the bar and then he finally walks in Hillary and I go hey Hillary here's my album and I did he says well I'll put you on Mondays I'll try you on Monday right, <laughs> right. see how it works out right. and then he liked it and then it just turned into where we played a few more times and, yeah you know and then we headlined on in 79 Thursday Friday and Saturday we played a weekend through nice 
and then that was the last time I played there. But and that was like, uh, yeah, yeah. So that was the, and then we, you know, like I say, we got that was you know we got a Variety reviewed us and incredible. I remember in '77 they said because uh, Frank Roma came with us and he brought two 60 millimeter projectors and screens and we had the two screens on the side of the stage and the Variety guys go not sure how all that fits the film fits in with the music at the time but now it's probably normal <laughs> they didn't get it then right yeah yeah. you did Max's too right uh, Max's Kansas yeah too. I think we did one thing there right and, and I can't remember the date or nothing but yeah all those clubs were cool you know yeah I saw a game in the studios at Max's and I think it was 72 or something wow he had just released uh, Raw Power yeah or somewhere in that area right yeah Hey, they were good man live. I still remember the two stack, you know, the two Marshall stacks. Seriously, the two brothers, right? The, right. I forget their names, but but yeah. I so saw you would come down for shows too? Like, yeah, but like I said, when I was young, you only had to be eighteen. Right. So I, I right out of high school, I could go see, you know, go into these clubs, and you know, I saw everybody from Leslie Gore to the New York Dolls. I, I saw them numerous times I around, bet. around yeah. the city, and they were good life actually. They had a good life, so. Then it was the Harlots of 42nd Street. They were trying mm. to be like the New York Dolls. Right. There were a certain group of New York bands that were in the glam. What would you call that period? Glam? I'd say glam. I think that's like the original glam you period. Know, you know, just 70s, early 70s, and then right. it was evolving into what turned into, I guess, punk or new wave. Yeah, know. It punk turned and into new wave. Something new all of a sudden. I hate using terms, but I think that's what. But yeah, so even during that time, I was trying to figure what, what the fuck is Gary Wilson? What you know? Where are we? You know, it's like his glam rock now. And and my friends and I would come to New York to buy platform shoes uh-huh. because they had the best platform shoes up. You know, the pimps and the sure. And we get the shoes like this, and you know, and go back home with them and to a small <laughs> town in upstate. Right. <laughs> what was high school like? Um, well, I had the privilege. See, I was in the music department, so I had actually my own office in a sense where I had a record player. And during our free periods or whatever, what we, I forget even what we called them, I could go to my office and write music. Really? Yeah, my teacher. We had like a chamber ensemble in high school, you know. Uh, uh, you know, and so she was my teacher and stuff anyway. And I was playing cello at that time. I was in, you know, we'd had a string quartet and a couple different ensembles within. So I was. I would go into this my own office and I had all these posters of whatever I wanted to hang in this office and really play records all you know I'd have John Cage playing in my thing and it was in the band room actually they had the band right the the horn guys who were the marching guys you know they had their own room and I was in this you know so yeah I had a, a good opportunity through high school you know I was I had, you know and then we would put shows on sometimes yeah I, w- I mean there must have been some the local thing, ensemble right? playing my music like after school things right. and we'd go out and, and but anyway yeah I took a, and again uh, you know that was the time again I always say I got jumped by 30 people right wow because I was you know at that time I was in a small town too I was one of the few long haired guys right I had long hair and I'm sure you stood out pretty much right yeah with junior and high school so the jocks didn't like me right, right. <laughs> and there were a lot of jocks at the time, you know, in a smaller town during, and, you know, we're talking 60s, right, and even though the Beatles and all that, but in a small town, it took a while to, for kids to get hip to long hair and all that. I'm sure. They still all had uh, crew cuts yeah, and yeah, uh, letterman you know, jackets. And I come out of the old, fraternities, right. and I come out of the old uh, public pool, I was probably in, I don't know, 10th grade or something, and 
So they're all waiting for me out there. The guy grabs me and is holding me behind. The guy's coming at me with the old scissors. Oh, my He's God. going to cut my hair. Oh, right. shit. <laughs> There's like 30 guys, you know, ready to kill me or something. And then I said, you touch me, you're all dead. <laughs> and what are you? What do you say? I said, you know, my brothers, they're in Omega Delta, biggest fraternity in our high school. Right? Right. And they all backed off or something. So wow. I used my brother a couple of times to bail me out of these fights. Right. Hell yeah. <laughs> my brother come out, you know, with the old fraternity, fraternity jacket or something. Right. Is this Larry? <laughs> yeah. Larry. Yeah. Because he played, he played music too, though, I right? think he played Knitting Factory. He, he came down. I met him. Yeah, he played the Knitting Factory. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's an actuary, actually, you know. Figures out pensions for like oh. uh, the New York City Police Department or the Miami wow. uh, Department of. Yeah, he did real good with that. He's real good with numbers. He actually, when he was a kid, they had the. When he was a real little boy, he would just add numbers: two plus two equals four, four, eight, eight, sixteen. They actually had to give him a shot to sedate him. Wow. Because he would just keep multiplying numbers, and he's a math whiz. You know. Wow. And his son's even more of a math whiz. Wow. My nephew. Really, you know, I think he works for NSA or something, the deciphering things and stuff. But he's even beyond my brother, you know, they're into this math that's, I can't even comprehend, you know. Right. But anyway, yeah, Larry played with us. And what did your folks do? My dad was in, worked for IBM. Right, which was in Binghamton or in uh, Endicott? Well, you know, IBM started in Endicott, right. actually. Endicott, New York, where I'm from. Right. So my dad worked for them. That's why I say, I was just telling somebody today, I said, yeah, I'm a wimp compared to my father. And I said, my father, geez, he worked, you know, he wouldn't just work five days a week at IBM. He'd go in on Saturday, work six days. Right. And then he was playing like four nights a week, you know, hotel stand-up base with a quartet. Really? Okay. Never complained. Right. I'm tired. I, I can't keep doing this. Well, you had to be to work, you know, you wake up at six in the morning, come home at two or seven yeah. or one, and never complained, you know, so. Yeah, it's so a different generation. generation. You know, they, they, if somebody was paying you, get it while you can, right? Right, you know, absolutely. The depression era people that were, you know. Yeah, my dad was like that too. He ran a garage for 35 years and, and like worked every day of the week. I mean, Sundays too sometimes, so, and yeah, it was. Credit, yeah. yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, that's cool. I didn't, and he he was um, musically inclined as well, though. Yeah, actually, jazz. He played some gigs with Nat King Cole and stuff. Wow. And he was, you know, he was the best string bass player in, in, in the area. He was, you know, he was in New York for a while and stuff. He was up here for a while, and then like the. Uh, oh. But then he, you know, he, he got into family life and had four children, and he, sure. it's even said in the documentary he couldn't do the road anymore. He had to right. take care of the family. Right, so, right. And he worked for IBM and. 40 years or something. And wow. I worked for IBM. Did you? Like uh, in 1978 and nine, about a year or two years maybe. Or, you know, all the Wilsons probably worked for IBM at some point. Was that your first job? Yeah. Well, no, I was a dishwasher when I was a younger boy. Right. Didn't like that. I was a, I delivered papers for a while and did that even when I was younger, even younger, younger. But yeah, IBM, that was a good job, but it just wasn't for me, I guess, you know, I don't know, you know, factory life was a little... <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't picture you <laughs> in that scenario. But, you know, they were good to you. you know, yeah. They, they raised a family there. Somebody was bitching to me about something, and I said, corporations, right? Right. <laughs> and I said, hey, you know, they put food on our table for 40 years, you know, what are you yelling about them for, you know? But right. anyway, I don't want to get political. Right, right, right. 
Do you ever, do you still um, have much of a connection going back there? Do you ever go back there at well, all you know, I bought my house. Did you? Actually, the family house. But then I sold it about four years ago to my brother. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's selling it. And you know, I kind of feel a little bad about that in one way. I was hoping we'd keep it in the family. Right. No, I couldn't take care of it. I'm in San Diego. My house is in Endicott, and, you know, I needed painting and some other work on it. Yeah, sure. So I thought, well, so I offered it to my brothers, you know, and, you know, I took a huge loss on that, man. Uh, well, huge yeah. Huge loss. You know, no, they weren't going to buy it. You know, I lost like 70000 50000 mm. on that, man. But How long ago did you buy it? Oh, okay, yeah. So, and then I sold it in thirteen, and you know, I had some money then from something, and then I had, ca you know, so I bought a, a house and a car with cash, basically. Right. I had a hundred thousand, hundred some thousand, and then I sold everything. So now I'm back to ground one, right? Where All right, that's well, life you for know, you. My worry at the time back then too was that how was I get. If I should fall or I should have some health issue because, you know, I haven't seen a doctor in 40 years. What if something happens to me and they attach my house or something goes wrong? I don't have the money to repair right. plumbing right now and all this stuff. It costs me enough to live in San Diego, you know. But anyway, yeah, so uh, so now I see a, he's selling it and I'm going, yeah, you, you, know, you should have kept it, you know. He made a hefty profit on me, really, in some ways. Yeah. And then he moved to... Uh, all my now I got like three string bases at Frank Roma's house. Right. So he's storing my bases. He's still up there. Yeah. So mm -hmm. he's got my bases over in his 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 basement, I guess, because <laughs> he cleared the house. You know, you know, I had some good stereo stuff there. I know? would think so. Yeah. I you mean know, that I left there. You know, some real nice audio equipment that I don't know. I have no idea what he did. Money gave it away. Who knows? Right. Cleared the house. You know, and it's up for sale now. Remodeled it a little bit. As it, it's still up on the market yeah right for a hundred grand or something but it's you know it's a three-bedroom right on the park right wow you know it was a nice place you know right on the park with all that space what's the what's I the park back is what i should have did and i didn't is what happened but right. it was at a time where i actually had to stay you know my my girlfriend was in health issues yeah and, i remember yeah so i had to stay and uh, but i probably should have you know i you know because i could have though the taxes are high in new york New York State is tough like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, in many ways. In, in California, they were paying like one percent of property tax, right. and then the New York, what I think it was almost four percent. Yeah, something, I think so. Not more. <laughs> so. But now, I mean, you've lived in San Diego for twenty-five years. I've been on years. an extended vacation. Yeah. I'd say. Yeah. I mean, do you feel do you, do you call it home? Does it feel like home? I guess so. Have you moved around a lot? No. I've been in the, the last place for the last 18 years, and then previous for 16 years, probably the other house. I had a house there for a while, and then now I'm in a, I live by myself, I'm in a one-bedroom apartment, you know, with my dog, and uh, I don't like to move. Yeah, I get you. So that's more stressful to me, you know, you know everybody tells me, oh, get a little cheaper rent if you right. move towards the border, you know, San Ysidro. To TJ, they want yeah. you to move to TJ? Oh, yeah, 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 I did a show in TJ. Did you? About oh, two months ago. Or three oh, months. no way. Promoter brought Jeez, they look totally different. You know, I live in Sandy. I'm right on the border. Right. But I haven't been in Tijuana since probably the seven, the late 70s or something, early 80s, and it looks totally different to me now. You know, it's like really built up. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the show like? <laughs> Good. 
<laughs> yeah. The crowd's good? They're pretty creative down there now. They're getting more creative. Yeah, it know? seems really. like. I've been getting see more. bands with the old wrestling masks now. Right. And, you know, and a lot of that I noticed because I watched, you know, some of those local uh, L.A. Uh, to shows where they got a lot of the Mexican bands and stuff. Right, right. But yeah, yeah, you know, then went to Europe a couple times, probably since I left. Right. So I, those were kind of interesting. Well, I remember the first like European first tours. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. it because I mean, obviously, it's not like you, we could you fly a band out there. I mean, like, but I. I oh, what a I, lot of work that is, huh? Right. Yeah. Jesus. Well, what, you've had a lot of had a you've had satellite bands, uh, you know. Well, yeah, but the Austin Blind Dates. Were, yeah. With me, they were a cover band in Austin, a Gary Wilson cover band. Right. And so they went with me to Europe. So they had all my songs done really well, but they had it done good because we had a, like a real professional driver who, you know, the drivers some of those companies that supply backline and all this other stuff you know those huge vans they got that luckily yeah, i mean we're driving goddamn from poland to germany to france to paris <laughs> back you know just driving you yeah know, those are some cheap. long drives there too i right? know i know but it's kind of interesting right. i was in czechoslovakia i think and the blind dates i couldn't find them you know it's like nine at night and i'm starving i'm you know they had their own room somewhere I'm going, Jesus, I gotta go eat. I haven't eaten all day or something. And I go downstairs and the receptionist goes, she goes, well, there's a McDonald's about five miles down the highway. <laughs> there's a pathway along it. Okay. So here's Gary. I'm thinking, well, you know, I could walk five miles. I think I start going out. I go, I gotta eat something. So off I go on the old trail. So there's a pathway that's leading along the highway. And then all of a sudden the pathway starts leading into the woods. Next thing I'm going by, these looks like ex-Soviet abandoned buildings in the middle of the <laughs> woods i'm walking by these things i'm going whoa jesus i could get killed here get you know <laughs> and it starts raining on top of oh it at God. 10 i don't have an umbrella and i'm going oh man jeez I, then i turned around and i went back home and, oh man and then the blind dates were there and then they said geez then we ended up taking a cab which i should have did I don't know. <laughs> right what the hell was i thinking that's a song right there though i got you know because it was hard talking sometimes to the people in czechoslovakia yeah, I for don't sure. Know the language real well, so it's like the other guys seem to know a bunch of different languages. The blind dates guys, right? So I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of you've done a lot since when we first started working together. I mean, it's a storied career for sure. Like, what do you think? You know, obviously, there's the Christmas uh, project, but what? I mean, you turn around stuff quite quickly it seems like i mean what's your are you just when you're off the road are you just making constantly recording at home well, or what's know, the sure, process sure. there well i you know you wait for those creative moments for sure but i gotta you know my own i don't really use a computer so i got a kind of a home studio in my bedroom it's on the tape recording on the well, tape i don't use real to real but i got a standalone task cam 2488 which is a hard drive and then i got a cd separate burner that's by right. itself and then i I feed the one into the other digitally by digital out into digital end and get a good clean copy. So then I can mix it. You know, I can fade out if I need to without having to go through all the digital things. You right. Know, I, I just use it as a straight-ahead recorder. Right. Well, it there's always a warm. You have a warm feel to it. You know, regardless. Uh, well, yeah, the I keys. Uh, I guess I, I'm not sure. I just probably from the years of doing it. I guess I don't know. But, I was talking to some guy and we were talking about microphones. I said, yeah, I said, well, you know, I use even now a, a Shure SM57. I said, I, you know, the guys talk about $1,000 mics. I still use a $79 mic. <laughs> 
even when I did You Think You Really Know Me, I said all I used was two mics, uh, a Shure SM57 and a Lecture Voice RE10, and then I said, you just, you know, you you got to have a certain year to get the best sound you can. Yeah. Plus, I always considered myself, when I was young, an amateur audiophile. Right. So I was in the stereo gear. I knew all the stereo stores. They would let me take equipment. You know, Macintosh is like 10 miles from my house. Right. Their equipment, their audio. And I knew one of the guys that used to take pictures for the blind dates. His dad used to do work for Macintosh. His cellar was filled with these big tube amps and... You know, and so I was in, and they bring their tube amp to challenge my Citation, Harman Kardon Citation amp, and my Citation actually, Harman Kardon was as good as these three, four thousand dollar amps, man. Right. And, and I, we would compete at my house, with, you know. And so I was into Would audio. you? <laughs> I was, you know, I was huh. into that, you know, audio. I knew a lot about that. I still am very intrigued, but it's I'm in an apartment now. Yeah, it's limiting. And right. all I can use is basically headphones mostly. Right. So you record mostly on headphones too. Yeah, right? yeah. I hate to say that, but that's true. yeah. I mean, you make. I it tried work. to do research to try and find headphones that can replicate speakers. Right. The most, and if you look, you know, you can find certain studio headphones that were built to mimic studio monitors. Right. And so I tried to buy one of those, and I tried to keep it at that so I can do it. But yeah, I miss it, man. You know, it's, you know, I, I used to have nice audio stuff. I used to have, a, I don't know if you're familiar with ARs, AR Acoustic Research. Uh, no. They're out of Boston, they're in Massachusetts. I used to have like two AR3s, so I'd stack one AR3 on top of another AR3, and you know, man, that was a wall of sound. Mm. You know, from one, when you stack the two, it just opened up into this. You'd have that in the song. house. You'd have that. Yeah. Just like, well, yeah. when I had a house down in San Diego, I'd right. Well, in Endicott, I had even a better system to tell you the truth. Right. But I couldn't move it. But um, yeah, yeah. So you know, bringing back memories. It would be incredible if ever the opportunity found itself to you would be able to like see you record with that symphonic band like the band that you have right now but put it into a proper like studio that can accommodate like that large of a piece where you can yeah you know conduct a band and stuff like well tonight they're recording us actually cool and it, uh, this could be an album I good i hope so they're working on this you know it might, might be through feeding tube or something that might put this out coming up but yeah yeah it's it's neat you know to hear all the colors you know the, yeah you know, i'm always intrigued by orchestras and stuff yeah i think people don't really get that they you know that it might have to be told for people to understand that that that, that exists in your music too you know that that element is at play um, well that gets back to what i'm saying you know right. there's, there's that one step so how do you put the two together you know and, you know i try to do that in some ways you know i try you know I, Believe me, there's a lot of self-editing with me, I, with my music, you know, it's, you know, I'll start a song and then I just, you think it's done and then I throw it out because it doesn't meet the criteria or something, but, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I'm ready to move on now to maybe another project, but, you know, each one of that, so, you know, it's not easy to come up with an album, you know what I mean? No, you make it seem easy, though, I tell you. You know, it takes me time, you know, and it's like, uh, okay, well, let's start, you know, and each song becomes like a baby, you you produce it, and, it, and then it comes alive, all of a sudden it's kind of magical, you know, all of a sudden that's, you've done it with that song. Now you got to come up with 11 or 13 more, okay, so then... 
But I feel like we're entering a place too where you can, where an album, you know, people's minds have evolved to a certain point where an album can be five songs if yeah, you want I've it to be. That. You know, yeah, yeah. But that's and even the piano. What's the piano album? Yeah, that's just a for shorter. what's it called again? Yeah, you know, originally that was going to be. I told them to release that as a forty-five. Ah, cool. You know, how they used to do disco in the right. 70s, you know, to get the full fidelity impact, the right. dynamics. And then it turned into a 33 or something. But yeah, that's. Oh, it would be, it would be a full LP, but it would uh, be a 45, 45 RPM, right? Yeah, right. for nice. the dynamics, you know. That would yeah, have that's cool not a bad idea at all. With the smashing in there. Yeah, that was uh, the piano piece, is a very John Cajun piece uh, well, during that period. Right. Where we pretty much destroyed a piano. That is actually smashed. Is it? uh, My friend Vince Rossi, who assisted me on that piece, uh, he was like a piano technician, piano tuner. He went to school for that. So his cellar was filled with pianos. He would repair and sell them. Get a piano, update it, make it nice, and then sell it. So he had these pianos. (laughs) His dad looked like Dean Martin, right? Uh. I still remember Vince Rossi's father. And we got a microphone, and it's facing this piano. (laughs) He had to... We got like cinder blocks, and we're gonna okay. We, you know, permission to smash it according to Vince. We could get it. so, you know. <laughs> and you know, that one tape that is on that album, I could never get the fidelity of that again. And we smashed really? a few more pianos. And I don't know if it was just the way I had, and that was like a $70 mic or something duct taped to the freaking soundboard, right. so it captured every little breath. And the dynamics mm-hmm. of that are so strong. It goes from a whisper to a, you know, it'll be real silent. Then all of a sudden you hear this large sound, a lot of dynamic. It's intense. And I don't know how I did it on an $80 Sony tape recorder. That right. was a re- mono reel-to-reel probably and you know, it's a cheap mic basically. And then I tried it after that and, and actually did a few more smashings. And they never came out with that fidelity. But yeah. anyway, that's music for piano on feeding tube records. Right, right some of those off of that one that was yeah like you said a little shorter yeah well man it was great talking to you i appreciate your time for sure um, it was good seeing you peter yeah man. always it goes back we go way back somehow it's crazy yeah. um i wanted to i have not yet looked out of this window but i do remember when we first started working that one of the you know i've seen a lot of writer tech writers and hospitality writers in my day was that the thing that I used to have to stress to promoters too was that you needed a room with the view of water. Like, do you remember that? Uh, and but I'm not. I haven't looked out this window though. Can you see the? Can you see the? Um, the so. East River from. I from wish here? I could. Yeah. They did. They did you dirty this time. We got to. We got to make sure. You got to bring that back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I did when I went. I, did you book the one when, when I went to Oregon? Was at the University of Oregon and. Uh, that might have been before me. I remember. I remember. Did a show there, and they had a nice hotel right on the. On the water. Right on the water, and there were ducks swimming, and. Ah, you got I was ducks, like in too. paradise for a moment. Really, real quiet, and you, know, you could hear the birds and the ducks now, and the quacking around. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, you bring that back to me. I'm, I'll have to put that in. The you line. might have to. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, man. Yeah, definitely. That was my conversation with Gary. It was awesome. You guys are awesome for checking this out and listening to the house list. This is still I'm still getting this off the ground, so I appreciate anybody and everybody that's uh, checking it out. And feel free to spread the word. You know, this is a very DIY thing. This show was produced by me, Peter Agostin. 
edited and engineered by CJ Stewart. Opening theme and music by Dame Funk and Keith E. Day. If you want to reach the podcast, we're at thehouselesspodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter backslash thehouselesspod and subscribe on iTunes. Find us on SoundCloud. Definitely let people know if you dig it. If you're a fan of these kind of long form conversations as much as I am and as much as I like throwing these out and and doing these for you. So cool. Thank you guys so much. Take care and I'll catch you next week on the house list.